If you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our study on the Beatitudes, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5. And I'm dropping all kinds of stuff up here. So uh, if I like miss a whole page of my sermon, I know you'll be fine with it, but just hang with me. So as I was thinking through this week, I, I recalled that back in the 1980s, yes, some of us were alive that long ago, kids. Back in the 1980s, a thing called stereograms took the nation by storm. You may not know what a stereogram is just by the name, but you probably have been familiar with it if you lived in the 1980s at all. A stereogram is a weird-looking picture that you have to stare at without focusing, and then you can see a 3D image of of it pop out. That's a stereogram. If you look at it really closely, let me see if I can do this. It's actually a picture of me hidden in that. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know what that is. They just found that and threw it up on the screen. Our mall had a ton of these displayed. I think most malls in America had a lot of these displayed. And if you looked at them just right, a 3D image would pop out at you. I'm glad they took it down because I know what you would be doing the rest of my sermon. The only thing that was more exciting than looking at one of those pictures was looking out over a mall filled with people looking at those pictures. You had the guy who could immediately see every hidden picture in the stereogram. And of course, he was also the guy who loved to shout it out and ruin it for the rest of us. Oh, that's a butterfly. That's a lion. That's Steve Urkel. It is the 80s. Then you had the people who could not see it no matter how hard they try. How many of you were those kind of people? No matter how hard I try. God bless you with that. You would look and look and look and could not see see it no matter how much the guy who knew it all tried to explain in useless terms how to see it. Look at it, but don't focus. Look through it. Cross your eyes a little bit. Get closer. Back up. Slowly move toward it. Slowly move away. You guys know what I'm talking about. It just usually ended with frustration that you could not see what was hidden right there in plain sight. But the thing that I actually remember most of all about those pictures is the exhilaration that I felt when I actually got to see it. Like when I really had that happen to me, the picture jumped off the page and it was thrilling as a kid to see that. And as I'm in the mall, I hear people all around me yelling out, I see it, I see it. And I understood why they were so excited. It was like looking into a whole different world when you actually could see what some people couldn't see at all. And this morning, the reason I bring that up is because the promise we're seeing from Jesus in the beatitude we'll be studying is a promise about seeing something that not everyone else will see. Actually, it's a promise about seeing someone in a way not everyone else will see. And with that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter five and I'll start reading in verse Two. Matthew 5 verse 2 says, He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, this is the word of God this morning and may God add his blessing to the study of his word. This morning we're gonna be looking where we left off last week at verse eight that says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Church, just listen to that promise of Jesus. You will see God. Personalize that. You will see God. I will see God. That is an incredible promise. What's Jesus talking about? Well, to understand fully what Jesus is talking about, you have to remember something we've referred to throughout our study of the the Beatitudes, and that is this, that Jesus is describing in this passage what life is like for people who bow before Jesus as king. He makes them part of his kingdom, and he's describing what life in the kingdom of Jesus is actually like. And the blessing of living in the kingdom of Jesus has something that I like to call the now and later effect. I like the candy, I like the name, the now and later effect. And what I mean by that is that Christ's kingdom has come now in part into the heart of every person who bows before Jesus as king. But the fullness of Christ's kingdom will not come until later when Jesus returns to this earth and he sets up in fullness his kingdom among his people in the new heaven and the new earth. And what that means for our study and for us this morning is that we have to remember that every promise that Jesus gives us in the Beatitudes has a now and later effect, specifically for today. Someday later, sometime later, you will see God face to face. And if your heart has been cleansed by Jesus through faith and trust in his work, you will look with your own eyes on the glory and holiness of God and you will enter forever into eternal pleasure and joy forevermore. There are no words, guys, to describe what that will be like, but it will be a thrill like no other thrill. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, it will be glorious. And it may be tonight. And it may be this afternoon. And I say even so, come Lord Jesus. But it may not be for many years to come. But whenever that is, sometime later, you and I will see almighty, glorious God face to face. That's later. However, there's a now component to that promise. Through the eyes of faith, you can see God today. You can see his glory in creation. 
You can see his promise and his character through his word. Most clearly, you can see God at work through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can write this down. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going away to prepare a place for us so that we can live forever in the presence of God the Father, seeing him face to face. And one of his disciples says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus responds like this. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What he's saying is this. We get to see God in the person and the work of Jesus. And I want you to know, that includes the personal work of Jesus in your life. Did you know the Bible promises that when you trust in Jesus, Jesus himself will live in you? He promises to take the same power that raised him from the dead to new life and use it in your life today. Jesus promises to make you more and more and more like him until he finally presents you to God the Father as a glorious, finished product of his workmanship in your life. That personal work of Jesus that you can see through the eyes of faith starts right now. Jesus offers you, and he offers me, a front row seat to watch him work and to join him in what he's doing in the world among the nations and to know him and to enjoy him, to see him through the eyes of faith. And Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So here's what Jesus is saying. The pure in heart will see God now and for all time. Now through the eyes of faith and for all time face to face. But who's it for? He says, the pure of heart. What's that mean? What's it mean to be pure of heart? Well, there are several ideas behind that word pure. The first idea is pretty obvious. It means clean. So think about the dirty clothes that you put in the washing machine. They may go in with mud all over them, um, but when you put them in a good washing machine and you do it right, they come out clean. And purity of heart is referring to that kind of clean, that kind of cleansing. There's a cleansing that takes place in our hearts. It's a cleansing from sin. It's a cleansing from the effects of sin. And that's what Jesus offers for those who come to him in faith. Go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because I want you to see how it is that you are cleansed by Jesus when you come to him in faith. 1 Corinthians 6. And I'm going to start reading here in verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And just so you know, Everyone in this room is guilty in some way, shape, or form with the things on that list. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, 
You didn't wash yourselves, you were washed. It was something done for you and to you, not something done by you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Stop right there. This is the good news of the gospel, guys. When you come to Jesus and you place your faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior, Jesus does the washing. Did you hear that? Jesus does the washing. And it doesn't matter how much filth you bring to the table. Jesus does the washing. He justifies you, it says. That means that he forgives you in a way that your sin is removed and God declares you to be righteous and just in the eyes of the law. It means God Almighty treats you as if you are not Guilty. That's what it means to be justified. And Jesus does that for you. It says he sanctifies you. He he cleanses you and sets you apart and makes you holy in the sight of God the Father. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says that you are holy that way for all time through the work of Jesus. All of your sin has been taken by Jesus past present and future when you come to Christ. That's a a phrase called positional purity. Positional purity. If you're truly depending on Jesus, your position before God is one of full and complete purity in his eyes. Don't run by that too quickly. No matter how filthy your heart, no matter how filthy your life has been, When you come to Jesus in faith, he cleanses you, he purifies you, and when God the Father looks at you, he sees you with the very righteousness of Jesus himself. That's good news. That's what Jesus does. He does the cleansing. So, when you hear Jesus talk about being pure in heart, you need to know that is not a call to roll up your sleeves and do this on your own. It's a call to come to Jesus to cleanse your heart, to give you a new position before God that transforms the very way you're seen by God himself. But listen, there's another facet to this idea of pure that helps us understand what Jesus was talking about. And the word that's translated pure in Matthew 5, 8 is also a word that describes wheat that had been winnowed so that it could be totally free from chaff. It was also a word that would describe pure gold. So purity in the realm that Jesus is talking about is something that has been so separated from everything else that it's consistent all the way throughout. So think about wheat. The point of purifying wheat is so that someone who's trying to make bread can get a bag of wheat that says pure wheat and he'll know that bag is full of wheat and nothing else. If the container's marked wheat, you don't expect to find inside the bag 50% wheat, 50% chaff. Or the point of purifying gold is so that someone who's trying to get a real gold ring can know that ring that says pure gold has only gold in it. So it won't tarnish, it won't rust, it won't turn my finger green. Um, like some of the rings I've bought my wife and it showed I was a cheapskate, but that's not the point. If you get a ring marked gold, you don't expect it to be divided 50% gold and 50% copper. And guys, that is really important 
and understanding what it means to come to Jesus and receive purity. Because Jesus is saying that the pure heart is the heart where what is on the outside matches what is on the inside. And what is on the inside matches what is on the outside. One commentator that I read says those, those who have a pure heart have one life and live it in the open. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and man. Guys, that's the other part of what Jesus is pointing to when he says, blessed are the pure in heart. He's saying, blessed are those who are able to live with transparency and consistency that is all the way through who they are and what they do. And when you put that together with the work of Jesus Christ, you see that Jesus is saying that those who are pure in heart are those who trust in the work of Jesus to cleanse them in a way that they are being pure in their hearts and being pure in their lives. They're pure in a way that it's displayed throughout their life. Another way you could say that is this. People who are pure in heart consistently look to Jesus to cleanse their lives all the way through. And let me give you the theological language for that. Positional purity in our standing before God will lead to practical purity before everyone else. Positional purity in our standing before God will lead to practical purity before everyone else. Listen to me. Jesus changes our lives all the way through. Jesus changes us all the way through. But I want you to know as I was praying about that this week, I felt the Holy Spirit pressing on my heart the fact that you need to hear a warning. I need to hear a warning from Jesus when we talk about having pure lives and living in purity with everyone around us. So go to Matthew 23 and I want to show you a warning Jesus gives us that I believe is essential for this conversation of living a pure life all the way through. In Matthew 23, Pastor Carey actually shared with you at the beginning of the uh, study on the Beatitudes that the teaching ministry of Jesus sort of has these bookends on it. The beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry is there in Matthew, and it starts with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. But near the end of Jesus' teaching ministry on earth, you find this warning section to those who don't enter into his kingdom. Specifically, he talks about the Pharisees who refused to bow before Jesus as king. And there's a really interesting dynamic between the Beatitudes and this passage known as the woe passages. All the things that Jesus blesses in the Beatitude, you find being condemned in their opposite in these warnings. So when Jesus says he blesses people who have a pure and undivided heart, he gives a warning about people who don't in Matthew 23. So look what he says in Matthew 23 in verses 25 through 28. He says, woe to you. That word woe is literally the exact opposite of blessing. Blessing means to be fully satisfied and happy fully joyful. Woe is to be miserable. He says, you will be miserable forever. 
if you choose this way and not my kingdom. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, look at this, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Stop right there. So obviously the Pharisees aren't pure. Did you catch that? Pharisees aren't pure. Emily caught it. Thanks, babe. She laughs at all my jokes. I pay her to do it. It's cool. These Pharisees aren't clean. They're not clean throughout. Jesus says, actually, they're full of all uncleanness. But they paraded themselves around their world like they were totally clean. They're the most religious people any of us would have ever met. And so Jesus in this passage is connecting their lack of purity, their lack of cleanness with their lack of transparency and their lack of sincerity. He says they're a bunch of hypocrites. Their outside lives were nice and neat and looked holy, but their inner lives are full of greed and full of self-indulgence. They're clean on the outside side, but they're full of death on the inside, even though it appears like they're religiously alive. And so he says, purity is consistency throughout. And that's what makes hypocrites hypocrites. They're clean on the outside and filthy on the inside. And church, there is a critical lesson for us. If we desire to be pure in a way that's consistent throughout, I want you to notice something that Jesus emphasizes here about these hypocrites. Notice that he points out they were working to clean up their lives from the outside in. Look at verse 25. He says that they are clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may also be clean. You see Jesus warning them that they are working from the outside in trying to be pure. And that is a major warning for us on a morning like this. Man-made religion always works from the outside in. It convinces you to roll up your sleeves and give it your best from the outside in. Man-made religion gives you a bunch of rules to follow so you can look better and impress the people around you. And that kind of religion teaches you to focus solely on cleaning up your life with a list of do's and don'ts. And those do's and don'ts don't ultimately make you alive on the outside or the inside. They make you die more and more and more inside each day. And friends, you need to know when you hear about being pure all the way throughout your life, there's a danger that lurks right around the corner for everyone in this room. Especially when you hear that being pure in your heart includes a practical purity in the way you live 
and the things you do and what you say and how you act. What you become vulnerable to is the age-old trap of Pharisees to begin and try to clean up your lives from the outside in. And you need to hear the truth of the gospel. I said it before and I will say it again. Jesus does the cleaning. Jesus does it. Jesus provides for the purity of our position for God and Jesus by his resurrection power has to empower the purity of our practice before everyone else. Jesus cleanses our lives from the inside out. Um, I worked my way through college painting and hanging wallpaper. I've shared with you guys about that segment of my time. I I squeezed four years into a seven-year career. It was great. Um, At the end of everyday painting, though, you have to clean up. You can't just leave filthy paint, brushes, and pans lying around. And the guy I worked with, he and I spent a lot of time at the end of day cleaning up. And so he decided to hire a high school guy to help us out for the summer. And this kid had never painted before in his entire life. So his job wasn't even really to paint. His job was to help us clean up through the day and make sure by the end everything was cleaned up. So he would go around, he'd get the brushes we weren't using anymore and the rollers and the pans and he'd wash them out. Well, during his first week of working with us, we were wrapping up at the end of the day and our boss had been painting the trim with oil-based paint. Now, we were in a very new, very expensive, very large custom home and we're putting everything away so it's clean for them when they get home and this poor kid grabs the oil-based paint that my my boss was using and he decides to clean it up well he doesn't know that oil-based paint has to be cleaned with special thinners and cleaners so he takes the pan and the brush that are soaked in oil-based paint to this beautiful big new laundry room and he puts it in the sink there by the washer and dryer and he turns on the water full blast. So he starts this all-out effort to clean out the paint. And here's what happened. The harder he worked, the worse it got. He scrubbed and scrubbed, but his scrubbing made water splash all over the sink, which made oil-based paint splatter all over the sink. He saw that, so he tried to wash the edge of the sink. It only spread more oil-based paint to the edge of the sink, which made it splatter on the countertop. So he tried to wash the countertop, which made it go on the floor with tile and out. So he gets down to scrub the the floor. And by this time, his arms are covered with paint up to the elbows. Finally, he comes to me. He has paint up both arms. He has a sick look on his face. (laughs) He says, Titus, something's wrong. (laughs) It was awesome. Oh man, that's great. Uh, Anyhow, I entered the laundry room which is now a crime scene, um, covered in oil-based paint. And I just felt awful for this guy. But he's no help at all because he's covered in paint. So I say, bro, you you just hang out right there. Don't touch anything. You are a danger to yourselves and others right now. Just stand there. 
I've got this. So I get the thinners and I get the rags and I get it all cleaned up. I even help him get his hands and his arms cleaned up so he can go home without looking like that. And I had to take him aside and I said, hey man, there's a little saying that you might want to remember for the rest of your life. Oil and water don't mix. And it's really true. And guys, that's what it's like with our sin. If you think that your job is to clean up your life by trying harder, you need to know the only thing you're going to do is end up with a bigger mess. You have to come to Jesus. You have to be willing to say, something's wrong, and I can't make it right, and I'm no help at all. And when you come to Jesus like that, Jesus does the cleaning. And when you come to Jesus for his cleaning power, listening to what he has to say, following him and looking to his work, you'll see Jesus work. And when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. And I want to end our time this morning in Psalm 24. So go to Psalm 24. Because this is a passage that's written by the man after God's own heart, King David. And this man after God's own heart writes a psalm about being pure in heart. And I want you to see that all the components that I've been sharing with with you this morning are present here in Psalm 24. Psalm 24, I'm just going to read verses 3 through 6. David writes this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Which I got to tell you, for most of my life, I I read that and thought, I wish that would be me. I wish that would be me. And felt like verse 4 disqualified me every time. Until I learned the gospel. Verse 4 says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness. He won't bring righteousness. He'll get righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. I want you to notice what's being described here. He says, people will enter into the presence of God. Verse six specifically says, it's those who seek to see his face. That's another way of saying, those who want the blessing of seeing God. So that's an echo directly of our beatitude this morning. And right in the middle of that is verse four. He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Again, you have this picture of an undivided man. His hands match his heart. What's on the outside matches what is on the inside. He's pure throughout. He can be transparent. He doesn't have to lie in front of God or other people because verse four says he doesn't have to swear deceitfully. He doesn't outwardly claim something that isn't true inwardly. And right there in the heart of verse four is this added description He does not lift up his soul to what is false. What keeps 
his hands clean and his heart pure is that he doesn't offer himself, his life, his soul to something that is false. He doesn't turn to a lie over and over again. He doesn't go to a false god over and over again. He offers himself over and over and over again to God. Church, as your pastor, that is my prayer for you. I I woke up early this morning praying for you. Praying this for you and me. Not because it's my desire, but I believe it's God's desire. I pray that you will live with clean hands and a pure heart. And that is only going to happen as you offer yourself over and over and over again to Jesus. So when the false gods of materialism and greed and addiction and immorality call out to you from this world, I pray you'll turn away from what is false by lifting your life to Jesus, trusting him to make you clean all the way through. And when the false advertisements of the enemy flash across your life, promising satisfaction and sin and temptation to things like lies and gossip and complaining and bitterness and anger, I pray that you will turn away from what is false by lifting your life to Jesus, trusting him to make you clean all the way through. When the false accusations of the enemy tell you that God doesn't love you or that you cannot be forgiven or that you aren't deserving of grace or that grace means it doesn't matter how you live, I pray you will turn away from what is false by lifting your life to Jesus, trusting him to make you clean all the way through. And friend, when you do that, when you lift your life to Jesus, you get a front row seat to watch him work. He will purify your life from the inside out. And blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God, now and forevermore. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I pray that you will do what only you can do. Will you open our eyes to see that Christ is inviting us into the power of his resurrection to raise us up from the death of our own sin to the life that only Jesus could live. Father, I pray for all of us in this room who feel those areas of our life that seem deeply inconsistent, that are deeply inconsistent. And Lord, rather than focusing our attention on those areas, God, I pray we would lift them up to you even right now. Father, where we need purity in our marriage, I pray we would lift it to Jesus. Where we need purity in our thinking, 
what we feel and what we do, Lord, I pray we would lift that up to Jesus. Where we need purity in our relationships with others, I pray we would lift that up to Jesus. God, I ask that we would believe that we don't just need Jesus, that we have him. That he is empowering our own holiness. He's empowering our own obedience. He's doing it for our good and his glory. God, I pray that we would lift our hearts to Jesus and see him work and live in the blessing of watching God. Father, I thank you for the grace and gospel of Jesus. And I pray our hearts would trust fully in him. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.